Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Hey, good morning, New Hope Leeward. How are you guys doing? All right. Want to welcome all of you here to the Kapolei campus and to all of you joining us online. We're super glad you're here. Uh, my name is Alex Shimizu. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, can you believe it? Five shopping days till Christmas. Yeah. It's uh, the reality is hitting. How many of you are done already? Yeah. Yeah. You're like me. Most of us are not done. Yeah. Uh, I'm super blessed because my wife, she like does like almost all of the shopping. My wife is so good that she actually like looks out for my gifts. She's like, oh, hon, you know, I know you wanted to get this for your coworker, so she'll buy it for me. And she does all the wrapping. And I don't know um, if anybody can relate to this, but this, this blows my mind. My wife actually makes her own ribbon. Like she'll, like she'll wrap ribbon and she'll make her own bowls. Like me, I'm not kind of like, just go longs and buy the 25 pack, you know, the kind you just stick on. But my wife makes her own. And uh, this Christmas is especially hard for us because for our, for our two sons, they're 14 and 11 right now. Um, the gift that they really want is a, a PlayStation 5, PS5. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys know how hard that is to get, yeah? Um, it would be easier to find a Bigfoot riding a unicorn than it would be to get a PS5 this year, yeah? It's like so hard. It's nearly impossible, yeah? So um, if anybody knows where I can get one, you know, just text me and uh, we'll go, yeah, for now. Um, <laughs> But as we're ramping up to Christmas, we are uh, continuing in our series. I, I, I think this is the last weekend of the series called um, Jesus Is. And I love this series because it really helps us to see Jesus in a different way, to see different facets of who Jesus is. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus as God, as a revolutionary. That's a, that's a new one for, for many of us, yeah? Um, as our comforter, our soon-coming king. Last weekend, Pastor Josiah did an awesome message on Jesus being our healer. And this week, we're going to be talking about a very important um, uh, uh, characteristic, if you will, of Jesus. And that is Jesus is God with us. Okay? And so, we're going to be digging into a passage in Matthew chapter 1. Um, and it's, it's one of the two birth narratives of Jesus. The other one comes from Luke's Gospel. But we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, where Matthew talks about Jesus' birth. But there's a couple of things that we want to know before we dig into Matthew. There's a couple of things we, we have to understand. The first thing is, is that Matthew, he makes reference to a prophecy from the Old Testament. And a prophecy in the Bible, a prophecy is something that God says will happen. Okay, And then the prophecy always has to have a fulfillment. And in the Bible, it's just, the Bible is just replete with prophecy fulfillment, prophecy fulfillment, prophecy fulfillment. And this one in Matthew, he, he makes reference to a prophecy that happened way back in Isaiah chapter 7. Okay, so the first thing is, is that we're going to be looking at Isaiah because that's the prophecy. Now, the second thing is this. The more we understand the context and the situation that's going on in Isaiah, the more we will understand the significance of this prophecy, and the more we will understand Matthew, okay? Because this prophecy in Isaiah 7 points directly to Matthew and points directly to Jesus. So the more we understand this, the more we will understand that. Does that make sense? Okay, so three things we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three Ps, okay? The three big ideas we're going to understand is Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy, okay? The second thing is, because Jesus is with us, He's God with us, we have access to His power. We're going to look at the power of God and that we have that same power. 
And the second and the third thing is because Jesus is with us, we're going to look at the blessing of his presence. Okay? So, prophecy, power, and presence. We're going to look at that, right? So, let's just go ahead. We're going to dive into Matthew chapter 1 and look at the prophecy that he points to in Isaiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 23 says this. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's a prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, The prophecy comes from Isaiah. And the prophecy is that the virgin will give birth to a son. The son will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Hebrew, Imanu means together or with. El is God. So Emmanuel, together with God. God is with us, okay? Now, we got to know what happens in Isaiah chapter 7. For us to understand Matthew, we got to understand Isaiah, okay? So here's what's happening in Isaiah at that time. Now we're talking 700 years before Jesus was born, okay? So now here's what's happening. We know from the Old Testament that there were 12 tribes, okay? Jacob had 12 sons. Those sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now at this time in Isaiah, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes, were embroiled in this bitter civil war. And much like America's civil war where we were split north and south, the nation of Israel was split north and south as well. Ten tribes were in the north and they took the name Israel. Okay, so the ten tribes called themselves a nation of Israel and they even had their own king, which is crazy because God is supposed to be our king, right? But because they were split, doing things their way, they installed a king and his name was King Pekah. So the southern tribes, there were two left, Benjamin and Judah. Benjamin got absorbed into the tribe of Judah. So they just called themselves the tribe of Judah, the nation of Judah. They had their own king, King Ahaz. Okay. Now, what's happening here is that the northern tribe of Israel, the northern nation of Israel, made an alliance with another nation called Aram, which is modern-day Syria, but the nation of Aram. And the nation of Aram had a king named Rezin. They were not God followers. They weren't followers of God. They were a pagan nation. But they made an alliance together. And this is what they said. The king of Israel and the king of, um, of Aram said, Hey, brah, we'll go get together. We'll go, we go invade Judah. We're going to take all their stuff, right, to the winner, the spoils, the spoils of war. They said, let's invade Judah. Let's take their land, take all of their stuff, and let's install our own king so we can conquer all. We can be bosses of this whole area. And so they did that. They decided to join together and invade Judah, which is sad, right? Because this is like Israel versus just like God people versus God's people, right? But that's what was happening at that time, okay? So 
Think about Judah, right? Now, before we go, oh man, poor Ahaz, poor Judah, right? Before we start feeling sorry for them, we don't want to. Because here's the truth about King Ahaz, yeah? King Ahaz was not a good king. In fact, the Bible says that he was not doing things the way God wanted him to. He was one of the worst kings in the Old Testament. And one of the things he did that was like really sickening was he worshipped the pagan god, small g, Molech. Now, if you know the Old Testament, they had lots of gods, small g, but one of the worst gods was Molech. And what they did was to, to worship Molech, they would create a big giant, I think it was made out of bronze at that time, bronze statue of Molech, and he would be seated on a throne and his hands would be outstretched like this. And we're talking massive, yeah, like the hands were huge, yeah? He would either have his hands together like this or a big platter and he would be holding the platter. But what they would do is they would take this statue and they would heat it up. They would heat it till it's like red hot, super hot. And then they would take babies and put it in there on the pan. Because they were humans, they did human sacrifices. And this is what Ahaz, the king of Judah, this is what Ahaz did. He involved himself in this. And God said, this is detestable to me. Don't do it but he did it. And so the situation we see in Isaiah is that they are right on the edge of the nation of Israel and Aram coming down and attacking Judah. And they heard about it. And this is what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2. When Judah heard that Israel and Aram were going to attack them, the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They were terrified as well they should be, right? They're going to get demolished. But check this out. God tells King Ahaz, don't worry. Okay, listen to what God says. Verse 4. God says, be careful. Keep calm and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. You know what God is saying? God is saying, man, don't worry about these two punks. I get them. Here's what God is saying. You know when you have a campfire and you get those big logs, right? You burn, it's burning hot, yeah? But then after a while, the thing disintegrates and only get like small bits of charcoal, yeah? The small bits of charcoal, God is saying, ah, don't worry about those two small smoldering embers. I get them, yeah? He's telling Ahaz, don't worry, okay? Now, God is so good. God is so good. He knows Ahaz, right? And he's like, I know you worried, okay? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a sign that I prove to you. I'll prove to you that I'm, I got you. I got this, right? God is so good, right? I'll prove to you. So look at what he says. He says this, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. Ask me for a sign. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh yeah, sounds good, religious, good guy, yeah? Ah, uh, wrong, wrong. Okay, here's what's going on. God, in His goodness, is telling Ahaz, look, don't worry. I'll give you a sign. Ask me whatever sign you want. I don't care how outrageous it is. The deepest depths to the highest height. I give you carte blanche, blank check. Whatever sign you ask me to prove to you that I'm going to save you, ask and I'll show you. Even if, you know, what if Ahaz says, okay, okay. Um, I like you turn the sun green and I want it to rain gold and silver. God would have done it to prove to him that he was going to save him. But Ahaz says, nope, I'm not going to test my God because you're not supposed to test God, right? 
But see, he's not testing God because God told him, ask me for a sign, right? Okay, so why does Ahaz refuse to ask for a sign? Here's why. Because Ahaz didn't trust God. And so what Ahaz did, when he found out that Aram and Israel were going to attack, he took it upon himself to not trust God, even though God told him, yeah? He went and circumvented and he went up to this nation called Assyria, which is in the north above Israel and Aram. And he made an alliance with Syria. What he basically did was Ahaz took all of the gold and all of the jewels and all of the things from the temple of God, everything valuable from the royal palace, he, he ransacked God's temple and he sent all of that up to the king of Assyria, this guy named Tiglath-Pileser, and he bribes him. He says, hey, I need your help. And this is what the Bible says. Ahaz told him, verse 15, 7 of 2 Kings, he says, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. So basically, right, brother Ahaz ransacks God, takes all the valuables, bribes Assyria, and says, bro, come and save me. Hello? God said he was going to save you already. And now he's bribing Tiglath-Pileser. History books know this widespread. Assyria, the nation of Syria, at that time, the most brutal fighting force on the, on the face of the planet. This guy, Tiglath-Pileser, this king, brutal. Like, he wouldn't just destroy the, the nation. He would take the prisoners of war. He would, like, skin them. He would gouge out their eyeballs. He would do all kinds of horrible stuff to them. He was brutal. And this is the guy that Ahaz says to come help us? Craziness, right? So basically, God is saying, right, I got you. But Ahaz says, nah, God, you know what? You got me. I got me. I got it under control. I don't need you. Wrong move. But you know what's really ironic is that you and I are just like King Ahaz. You and I fail to trust God. I know I'm this way. I fail to trust God. Even though God tells me, Alec, my word Look at my word. I promise to, you know, I got you. I got you. I got you. And what do I do? Instead of putting my trust in God, I respond to God by saying, God, you have no idea what I'm facing this week. You have no idea. This thing that I got to do at work, this presentation, you know how much research? I, 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 I never even start my PowerPoint slide yet. You don't know what I'm facing, God. There's no way you got me. And God is like, I got you. And I'm like, yeah, God, you know what? You got me. I got me. I'm all good. And this is how we are. This is how we are. We're just like Ahaz. Now, whenever things are really bad in the Bible, yeah, the one person that shines through is God. Check out God's response, yeah? In his goodness, this is what he tells Ahaz. He says this, The Lord himself will give you a sign. I know you're not going to ask me for a sign because you made this thing with Assyria, but you know what? I'm going to give you a sign because I love you. I love my people. I'm going to give you a sign. Here's the sign I'm going to give you. It ain't the sun turning green and raining silver and gold. Here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him, call him Emmanuel. And before the boy knows enough to reject wrong and choose right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. 
So the sign that God gives them is that a virgin will give birth to a son and the son will be named Emmanuel. God even chose a name that proves that he's going to save them. God will be with you, right? Here's the interesting thing. When Isaiah wrote about this prophecy, the word he used for virgin in Hebrew is the word Alma. And Alma doesn't mean virgin. Alma means young woman. So what's happening here is this. Judah is facing a foe that they absolutely cannot defeat, the two nations coming down. They cannot defeat them. But God says he's going to save them. And God says, the sign I'm going to give you is a woman is going to give birth to a son and they're going to name him Emmanuel. This is not a miracle. This is not a miraculous virgin birth. This is just a woman giving birth to a child and they're going to name the child Emmanuel. That's the sign that God chose. Okay? Now remember, we said that this prophecy points directly to Jesus in Matthew. Yeah? Here's how it works. When Matthew wrote his gospel, okay, the people during that time, as well as you and I, are in the same situation. We are both facing a foe that we absolutely cannot defeat. And it's not two nations coming down to defeat us. The foe that we cannot defeat is sin. And the resulting death that happens when we sin And we are separated from God for eternity. That is a foe that they in Matthew's time and we in our time absolutely are powerless to defeat. But God says, I will save you. And this is the sign to prove to you and me that he's going to save us. Matthew writes that a virgin will give birth to a son and that son will be named Emmanuel. Now here's what's interesting. The word for virgin in the the Bible Matthew used is the Greek word parthenos. And the Greek word parthenos means virgin. So the original sign was a woman would give birth to a son. Normal birth, but it's still a sign. This time, the sign is completely different because now the woman who gives birth is a virgin. And I don't know about you, but you took health class, yeah? Virgins cannot give birth, yeah? So how did this virgin give birth? Because it was done by the Holy Spirit, by a miracle of God. And this child now is named Emmanuel. Same name, right? But here's the thing. This time, the name doesn't just mean God with us. It is God with us. It's a completely different birth. It's a completely different sign because that was just a sign. This time, it's the fulfillment of the sign. This time, God himself is with us. Completely different. And the commonality through everything is that God saves us because he's so good. He's so good. So in your blanks, fill us in. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's crazy. It's amazing. You and I, we're like Ahaz. Yeah, we can choose to accept the sign or we can choose to reject the sign. And if we reject the sign, then we are relegated to do what Ahaz did. Every, every obstacle, every insurmountable challenge that comes down the pike... We just got to deal with it on our own. And I don't know about you, but I ain't that good. Yeah? But if we accept the sign, 
then we can be sure that whatever comes our way, God will be with us to face and see us through every insurmountable challenge that we face. Can you say amen to that? Last week, um, you know, uh, Pastor Josiah invited our church, Ohana, to, to, to post their, their prayer request, and it showed up on screen. And it was just amazing. All these people praying for things like healing from illness, um, you know, praying for wayward children, praying, you know, for healing from addictions, from finances being lost, broken relationships. All of these things that we're praying for are these insurmountable challenges that are coming our way. We don't know how we're going to fix them, but we cry out to God. And the beauty is that God is with us. And because he is with us, we have a way through. Yeah. And because he is with us, we have access. How do we get through it? Because we have access to his power and we have access to his presence. So we're going to look at his power right now. Okay. So fill in the blank. Number two, because Jesus is with us, we have access to his power. So I was thinking, you know, like um, when it comes to power, like what is our culture? What is what comes to mind when, you know, when we think of power, right? Power. And I was thinking, you know, uh, power, obviously to me, uh, power is like physical stature. You know, if a person is muscular or in shape, you know, intimidating physically, oh, power, yeah, you know. Um, or it could even be physical beauty, yeah? If, you know, like if you're beautiful, um, like, you know, in Hollywood, your models, actors, actresses, stuff like that, powerful influence, right? So, you know, external features. Um, another one would be, um, um, you know, uh, money. Money is a big one. Um, if you have money, you know, I can buy and sell you five times over. You know, power, come, with money comes power. Um, another one is uh, the ability to fight and wage war. Yeah, so we know like warring nations have power, right? Um, but not just that, but the ability to fight, to physically to fight and engage in a fight, you know, powerful. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so can scrap. Oh, they're powerful, right? Now, how about this one? Um, political power and influence, right? These, these are all ways. There's a lot more, but this is how we look at power, right? You know what's the interesting thing? Jesus had none of those things. When he was here on earth, Jesus engaged in none of it. And it's really interesting. In fact, when it comes to physical stature, physical beauty, Jesus was not a beautiful man. He was not. Yeah? Oh, Shimizu, bah, God going to strike you in lightning bolt. You just didn't tease him, right? You know? But I didn't say it. The Bible says it. In Isaiah 53, this is what the Bible says regarding Jesus. He had no beauty or no majesty to attract us to him. And there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Nothing. In fact, the, the words used to, that Isaiah used to describe Jesus being super like, you know, humdrum, mundane, it's the same wording that they used to describe David. You know, when they were looking for the next king and then, you know, Jesse brought all his sons and they were like, oh, son after son, like, no, 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 no. And then he's like, wait, don't you have any more? He goes, oh, I get one son, you know, David. But nah, he's nothing, yeah? That's how they saw Jesus. He's like, ah, nah, nah, nah. He's an afterthought, yeah? That's how they saw Jesus. Okay, let's put it in real today's terms, yeah? Okay, you put 100 people in the room and you go, hey, which one you think is going to be the leader, yeah? Nobody would have picked Jesus. He just didn't look like one, yeah? Or let's go even closer to home. Small kid time, right? You know, when you're choosing teams to play kickball or dodgeball, yeah? Yeah, guess what? You would never have picked Jesus first. 
neither would I. Because there's nothing about his appearance, nothing about his stature. He wasn't athletic looking. He wasn't strong looking. He wasn't taller. He wasn't prettier. There was nothing about his appearance that would make us desire him. What about money? He had no money. I used to think, oh, Jesus, he no more money because he no more pockets. Yeah, the back then they have pockets. That's not why he never had money. He never had money. Okay, Matthew 22. You know when the Pharisees went up to Jesus, they're like, oh, yeah, so what about taxes to Caesar? What about all of that? And then Jesus is going to full-on school them, right? So he goes, bring me a denarius. He didn't even have one to give. He had to ask somebody to give him a coin. He didn't have money, okay? How about, how about um, we talked about ability to fight, right? You notice this, that Jesus could have called down legions of angels, right? But he refused, Notice this, political power and influence. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself before kings and rulers. So at first glance, you would think, and I would think, that Jesus was powerless, right? No, that's his meekness, okay? Let us never forget, let us never forget that in Revelation, that Jesus is the one who sits on the throne. And day and night for all of eternity, the created beings, the angelic beings, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's Jesus who they're singing about. And let us not forget that Jesus came originally as the Lamb of God. But when he comes back, he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You ever seen a lion maul an animal? Like Farukhain, you ever saw a lion maul an animal? It's not a pretty sight. When Jesus comes back, he's going to maul sin. He's going to maul death. He's going to maul injustice. He's going to maul evil. And it's not going to be pretty for them. Jesus is the Lord. He is king of every king. He is Lord of every Lord. He is the almighty king. And let us remember that in the end, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, that guy right there is Jesus the Lord. He is God. I love what this commentator says about the power of Christ, yeah? He says this, the very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness, and to raise the Sadducee from his unbelief. Because God is with us, you and I have access to the power of God. And it's not the power to dominate people. It's the power to endure through hardship. It's the power to have hope when circumstances are hopeless. It's the power to be humble when everything in us wants to be arrogant, it's the power. I need Jesus' power this way. It's the power to close my mouth and not say anything when everything in me is screaming to say something nasty to the person who just went lip off at me. The power of God softens hard hearts. Softens hearts. I cannot tell you how beautiful it is, how many times I've seen this happen in our church and other churches too where big local guys, hard-looking people, just muscles and tattoos and scary-looking guys, they come to church and God gets a hold of their heart and He softens their heart and they, they end up worshiping, weeping, just thanking God and their entire countenance. They still look rugged, but their entire countenance and life changes. 
Or you see people who look just normal, unassuming like me, Japanese guy, right? Just regular looking guy, right? But inside, our hearts are hardened because of deceit or greed or lust or anger or impatience. And we come to church and God softens our hearts so that now instead of being all selfish, we become selfless. You know who does that? God does that. And it takes a miraculous power to change a heart like that. And that's the power of God. It's the same power that you and I have. Can you say amen to that? We looked at Jesus fulfilling the prophecy. We looked at the power of God. Now we're going to finish up with this. Because Jesus is with us, we have the blessing of his presence. The presence of God. You know, as I was, uh, as I was thinking through the message, I, I got to admit, you know, when it came to the presence of God, I was like, I kind of went, yeah, 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 I know, I know. God is with us. God is with us. Yeah. And I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, God makes himself so accessible and available to us that sometimes I take it for granted. And I started to think to myself, hey, you know what? What if God, what if God made it so that it was harder to get to him? Like, okay, like, for example, yeah, this is what I was thinking. Like, what if... What if we couldn't just like stop and pray to God? But what if we actually had to, for whatever reason, the only way we could be in God's presence if we came to this church? How would that change your relationship with God? Or what if, what if God was at a church on the other side of the island by Hawaii Kai side? And the only time we could see God is if we went to that Hawaii Kai church. Would that change things? Yeah, what if God, yeah, what if God was somewhere on the mainland and all Christians had to go to that one church in the mainland? Would that change our relationship to him? Sure, it would. It would make it way more inconvenient. It would make it harder financially. Yeah, it would totally change things with us. But God, he's so good that he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. He's not a distant, far off God. He's a right here with us God. I love what this commentator says about this. He says this. God is not a force or a principle, but a person. And a person who wishes to be personally present with his creatures. That presence is protection. It's fulfillment. It's sustenance. When he's not with us, the result is disaster. But if he is with us, then life cannot only be endured. It may be triumphed over. Amen. That presence is not only a metaphor, it's a reality. God has taken on himself our flesh. And in that flesh, he has taken even our sin into himself. And that is precisely why God is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. We do not have a God who is far away and distant. We have a God who knows what you're going through, when you're going through it. He knows everything you and I feel and experience. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That's the blessing of his presence. Now, some people might say this, Alec, okay, I get it, but mm, uh, yeah, I don't agree with that because I tell you what, Jesus was never married. And as a result, Jesus does not know the pain of divorce. So if I went through a divorce, how can I bring that to, how can he know, right? Here's, here's the answer. God, God is awesome. Divorce or any other type of pain, we can 
we can kind of boil it down to these, these kind of basic things, these base foundational things. A divorce is a loss of relationship. It's, a, it's, it's like a death of a relationship. And it involves abandonment. It involves isolation. It involves betrayal, right? Loneliness. And all of these things Jesus has experienced before. Any experience that we've had, Jesus has experienced those things so we can feel free to go to him. And the blessing of his presence is that we can pour out our hearts to him and he completely understands. I love the way Hebrews says, Hebrews 4 says this, this high priest of ours, he understands our weakness for he faced all of the same feelings, the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Uh, I've shared this before. Um, Christmas, I, I love Christmas. You know, I, it's always, a, I love this time of year. But a couple of years ago, uh, I lost my mom to cancer. And she passed on December 8th. And so as I rolled into Christmas a couple of years ago, it was really hard. It was very different. And um, I was my mom's primary caregiver and it was really hard. For those of you who have ever cared for someone or you are caring for someone, you know, man, it is super hard. It's really hard. You know, I was working with the insurance companies, uh, the medical companies. I was working with all these, you know, juggling my full-time job, my, my family. It was just so stressful. And I'll never forget one day I was driving after work. Um, and I shared this before. I was driving after work and it was like 4 o'clock fighting traffic. I had to go pick up stuff at uh, Costco, YPO. So I was going up H2. And, you know, I get to Costco. I park my car, rush in, grab all my stuff. Da, 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 da. I, yeah, going out, pay my stuff, get to my car, unload my stuff, close the car, go inside, start up the engine. I was ready to go home. And boom, I just start crying. Like it, I just started weeping and I just couldn't stop. And it was so weird because part of my brain was fully aware like I was sitting there and I was like, holy cow, like I'm losing it. Like what is going on? And there was another part of my brain that was just like, it felt like everything was melting and unraveling. And I was crying and crying and it wouldn't stop. And then I felt the presence of God so strongly. And I, I just sensed that God was there. And, and I feel like God released that in me. And he told me, he said, Alec, not an audible voice, yeah? But the presence of God, I said, Alec, right, you, you got to stop shouldering everything on your own because you're going to burn out. You need to ask for help. And I tell you, the presence of God, it, it got me through that time. And you know how we pray like, God, get me through the week. Get me through this season. Get me through this year. It wasn't even like that. You ever been in those situations where you're so stressed out? You're so like unraveling that you're not even praying for the day. You're praying like every 10 minutes. You're crying out to God. You make it through 10 minutes and then you're praying again and you're praying again. You ever had those times? It's the presence of God. He's with us. It's us relying on his power, relying on his love, trusting that he's got us. The presence of God is a huge blessing because he promises to be with us and he will see us through everything that we go through. He understands. That's God's love. I love the way Psalm 56 says it. it says this, you've kept track 
of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear is entered in your ledger, and each ache is written in your book. You want to talk about a God who's not far and distant? You want to talk about a God who has fought through our stubbornness and sin? He has fought through it so that he could be near us when we need him the most. And it's not just in the the valley experiences, but it's in the mountaintop experiences where we're like, yes, yes, I did it. And God is right there going, good job. Good job, Alec. That is our God. Can you say amen to that? I want to close with this. Yeah? So today, we looked at the three Ps. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy that God would be with us. And because he's with us, we have access to his power and the blessing of his presence. It was God's plan all along that he would be with us. And I never realized this, but I think that's why Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, he begins and ends his gospel with God being with us. Check this out. Matthew chapter 1. He says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew chapter 28, the end of his gospels. Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am what? With you. Always to the very end of the age. You know that word always? That word always in the original Greek The only place you can find that usage of that word is right here in the entire New Testament. That's the only place. And what that word always means, it means not just way off in the future. It means right here, right now, every single moment of the day and then on towards eternity. Jesus is saying, I am with you always. And that, that is a huge blessing. Can you say amen to that? You know, this Christmas, yeah, um, you know, as we do all of our shopping and our festivities and whatnot, um, I'm, I'm reminding myself this as well. Let's, let's remember, let's remember this, yeah, that the greatest Christmas gift that we can receive this Christmas, yeah, even more than a PS5, yeah, <laughs> even more than that, the greatest gift that we can receive this Christmas is the presence of of God being with us. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's pray, you guys. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you, God. We thank you for your word. And God, you're so transparent. We thank you, God, that it was your plan all along, like 700 years before Jesus was even born. And even before you laid the foundations of the earth, it was your plan that you would come to earth and you would be born fully God, fully human, but that you would dwell with us so that you understand, you know what we go through, that we can run to you, God, as our protection, our refuge, our sustenance. We thank you, God, that you know us, you want to know us. Our prayer, God, is this, is that during this holiday season, as we ramp up to Christmas and onward through it, that we would always treasure the blessing 
that you are with us. We love you, God. We love you. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Can we thank our God? God is good, yeah? Woo! Rah! We hope you were blessed by this weekend's sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.